Okay, good job, Sarah. Good morning. Morning to those of you online. We're so glad that you're staying out of the rain and um, enjoying your cozy blankets at home. Anybody else happy that it's fall? Yeah, yeah, it's, it, temperature dropped like, what, 40 degrees or something? So, hallelujah. Um, welcome this morning. Uh, this morning, I'm so excited about the word that I believe the Lord has for all of us. And we're in a new series called The Love Series. And today, we're going to be discussing a topic that uh, is, is sorely lacking in our culture. And this is the notion of honor. And you, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, you can honor someone without loving them, but you cannot love someone without honoring them. And to honor really means to recognize the value in another human being. Remember last week, I was talking about when I took a hike, and, uh, and I just wanted to be alone in the wilderness, and then I hear these human voices, and I was so annoyed, and it was like the Lord's like, you're kind of missing the whole point. People are very, very, very important to God. And so, in light of the fact that God loves people, he has called us also to love people. And not only to just love them, but to really honor them. So today we're going to be, I'm going to be defining what honor is, but then we're also going to be showing a demonstration of it in one of my very favorite stories in the entire Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Um, but we're going to start out, I have three different versions of the same passage of scripture. And we're going to talk about that as we define what honor is. So, starting with Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. This is in the New International Version. This says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. And in the NLT, which is the New Living Translation, by the way, all of these translations are, are really good. It's good to kind of change it up. I like to to read a different version every year so that I don't get kind of stuck in, yeah, 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 I've read this. It's a good idea to read different translations and now online you can do this or you can, um, Bibles are not that expensive. <laughs> it's really important to read a lot of different versions though to really capture the whole idea of it because actually our language is, is really lacking in expressing some of the the depth of some of these things, as you'll see as we compare these three versions of this. So, in the New Living Translation, which incidentally, if you're a newer Christian, I would recommend this version for you. It's a really solid version, but it's very um, palatable. It's easily understood. Um, it says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring one another. So the Lord is saying, this isn't like this mandate you have to do. He's saying, take delight in doing this. And actually, the original language talks about kind of like a, it's like a competition. How many of you are competitive? You want to compete for being the most honoring person. 
That's a good life goal. Be the person that honors others most. Actually, the word means to to set the standard, to set the tone, to be the first one, to be a leader in honor, in honoring one another, and to take delight in doing that, like a competition. Um, I was thinking about the the title of my message. I was thinking I wanted to change it today um, to take off your mask but I thought that might be a little bit too controversial. Because what this means, let's, let's go to the um, Christian Standard Bible. Romans 12, starting with verse 9, it says, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. Okay? Everybody knows that the reason that non, non-believers often say they won't go to church is because what? What's the reason? The church is full of hypocrites, to which I say, yes, you are right, but we have room for one more. So, (laughs) there's always room. Here's the thing. Some people have been wearing masks to church for years, not just since COVID. And this is the thing that, that this is saying, don't be a phony don't be fake. Genuinely love people. In, in the time, the Greek, the early Greek history, they used to do a lot of dramas, a lot of plays, and, and kind of like what we would call our cinema or entertainment. But they would have different masks, and they would wear those. And that's what this is talking about, is having a mask on. Not this kind of mask. <laughs> but a mask that covers up who you really are, who covers up what's really going on. And that's what this is saying, that the original word means let your love be without hypocrisy. In other words, don't just act like you like people. Ask the Lord to help you actually like them. And this can be a challenge. Actually, you don't really, oh, you don't need to like everybody but you do need to honor everybody. And remember last week what we said? We love everybody. How often? Always. Anybody listening last week? (laughs) Everybody, always. That is who we're called to love. That's who our neighbor is. Our neighbors are. Our neighbors are people. All people. No matter if you agree with them politically which right now is a very divisive issue. And I just want to say it again. Please don't be defined by your political beliefs. Don't let people go, oh yeah, that's that guy who's the fill in the blank. Let people recognize you by your love and by the way that you honor others. And now when I'm saying this, I'm talking about honoring, seeing the value in people. And that, that really takes some, actually it takes some real forethought. For example, when you go into the grocery store or you go and you're ordering something, don't sit there on your cell phone while there's a human being, a a soul for whom Jesus died, standing right in front of you. Get off your phone and ask that person, how are you? And actually listen to their answer. You will learn a lot about people if you actually just see them and hear them. You can learn so much, but we get so busy. We're on such an agenda. But when you think about all of this in light of eternity, the Lord values 
people. And he's saying, your love needs to be real. It needs to be sincere. There needs to be some attention given to actually loving people, even if you don't like them. Does that make sense? I mean, you don't have to agree with them. You don't have to particularly care about the way that they do things, but you are called to honor them and to love them. And you cannot love someone if you don't show them honor. It's not possible. That is, that is part of loving. So love must be without hypocrisy. It says, detest what is evil. Detest it. You know, we are unfortunately in the era of, of movies and streaming, everything's coming into our homes now. We allow a lot of things into our home that we're actually supposed to detest. We tolerate a lot of things in the name of, well, that's just how it is. And, and, and Jesus is saying, you know, you should come away from those things. Or the Lord is saying, no, you should break away from those things. You should, you should cling to what is good. Whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is admirable. It says we should think on these things. It says cling to what is good. It says align yourselves with what is good. And this doesn't mean that you judge everybody else who doesn't. This just means so that you can have a clear line. It is really difficult to hear the voice of the Lord when you're kind of polluted with a lot of evil stuff going on. Thoughts, things that you're thinking, things you're watching. And I'm not saying this in a judgmental way. I'm saying this for your benefit so that you can hear God's voice more clearly, so that you can understand and know Him. Verse 10 says, Love one another how? Deeply, as brothers and sisters. Now, some of you who grew up with a lot of brothers and sisters are like, hmm, we didn't really love each other very deeply. <laughs> But ultimately, we were just talking about this yesterday. You know how it is if, if um, someone, like you're really mad at your brother or whatever, you're really mad at your sister, and you're just like so ticked off at them, but if anybody else says anything derogatory against them, you will just, like, right? You'll come to their defense, right? Isn't that what happens with family? It's saying we're supposed to be so committed to each other that no matter what happens, we are still family. We are still brothers and sisters. No matter what they, who they vote for, no matter what church they go to, no matter you know, what, how they dress or what they do on their off time, whatever, we are called to love them and to be so committed to them that there's no offense or nothing that they could do to us that would make us stop honoring them. Does that make sense? And that's why this has to be, you can't do this on your own. You can't just make a decision to do this on your own. You have to do this with the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot love people unless you are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not possible to truly, deeply love them when they, when they wrong you, when they gossip about you, they slander you, they rip you off, whatever it is. And now I'm not saying put yourself in a situation where, where you're going to be hurt. I mean, um, physically hurt or where you're, you're going to be engaged in something that's damaging to you. I'm not saying that. But everybody always needs to be loved and needs to be honored in the eyes of the Lord. It says here, take the lead in honoring one another. All you competitive people, all you leaders, take the lead in being honoring. Amen? 
turn to the person next to you and say, just do this. So take off your mask and let your love actually be sincere. Let your love be real. That is part of honor. Okay? Now, we're going to show today, as I said, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's this, it's a little short little chapter. We're going to read the whole chapter today. But this is one of these little gems. And I I taught on this about four years ago. But I, I think that this is a prophetic word for us today. That the Lord really wants to speak something fresh to us through this passage. This is honor demonstrated in a very tangible way. I'll give you a little historical background. So, you know, there was a king. Well, okay, first of all, God was the king, right? But then the Israelites were discontented, as we often tend to be, right? We, we don't like the way things are, so we want to change things. And so they started crying out, give us a king, give us a king. And, and God's like, okay. And God gave them Saul. And at first, Saul was great. Saul was a little insecure, which is pretty clear throughout the scriptures. He was a pretty insecure guy, but he was their king. Well, he had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan was best friends with Solomon's son, David. Now, David's a guy who wrote most of the Psalms. David is considered a man after God's own heart. He was like, he was, a, he was an amazing, amazing man, and he became an amazing king. He and Jonathan were really, really close friends. They, it, as a matter of fact, it says that they loved each other like they were soul brothers. They loved each other with a deep, deep, and abiding love, and they were committed. They loved each other, like it says in Romans 12, as brothers. Okay? So, when... when um, Jonathan and, da- or, and uh, Saul went to battle. They were both killed on the same day. But David had made these promises to Saul, or to, I'm sorry, to Jonathan that he would honor his, his offspring. You know, like that song, The Blessing, to a thousand generations. David made a commitment to honor Jonathan's descendants. And so... What would happen in these days is that when a new king came into power, every one of the potential heirs from the former king would be killed. So this is pretty brutal. So that nobody could rise up and have a rebellion or whatever. They would take all of the descendants of the king that's deposed or the king that died or whatever, and they would kill them all. Pretty gruesome, huh? So... That sets up this story a little bit because it says in, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you want to open up your Bible, remember the pages, remember back in the olden days? 2 Samuel chapter 9, here's King David. He asked, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? So now remember, he made this promise to Jonathan, but he's coming in and he's asking, is there anybody left that I can show kindness to? And I'm sure that this kind of was 
people were kind of like, what do you mean? Can you show kindness to? So they may have doubted that he actually wanted to show kindness. They may have thought this was a ploy. You know, maybe David wasn't being completely honest. He says, is there anyone I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? There was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. They summoned him to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. So the king asked, is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? And I'm sure Ziba's like, um, well, I mean, not really. Well, actually there is, there's one. He says, there's still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. Now what had happened in this situation was after King uh, Saul was deposed, um, they came in and they were going after the descendants while the nanny came and picked up this little boy. He was a five-year-old boy. She picked him up and she started running and she tripped and fell and she fell. Sorry. Sorry, guys. We're good? <laughs> Every week. Just talk amongst yourselves. Okay. Anyway, is this okay? Do I have Dumbo ears? Be honest. Are my ears sticking out? Okay. Anyway, is that good? We good? Okay. Sound guys? I apologize. Anyway, so... So this woman falls on this five-year-old. Now imagine, you don't, we don't know how big this woman was, but any adult falling on a five-year-old is probably going to do some damage. So she falls on him, and for whatever reason, his feet are damaged to the point where he cannot walk anymore. He's considered crippled. And so that's what Zibah is talking about. He's saying, there's still Jonathan's son who is injured in both feet. So now this guy is, is now an adult, okay, at this point, and... The king asked him, well, where is he? Ziba answered the king. Now, I want you to get this. You'll find him in Debar, at the house of Machir, son of Amiel. Okay, now, the way that I remember the, the term for Debar is you think of here's where Debar is. This was low. This is like a ghetto town. This was like, he wasn't, this is, this is the heir of the king, the son of the king, but he's living in like this ghetto town called Debar, And he's living with this guy who's not a nice guy. If you read history, this guy is not a good guy. And it says, so King David had him brought from the house of Machir, son of Amal, in Debar. Okay, so the king had this kid... One second. People always call him Mephibosheth, but that's not actually his name. The way you pronounce it is Mephibosheth. That's actually the proper pronunciation. So I'm just going to call him Bo. All right? Keep things easy. So it says you'll find him, you'll find him in Debar. It says, so King David had him brought from the house of Machir, and Mephibosheth, or Mephibosheth, or Bo, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David. Now here's this kid, or this young man, he's crippled. 
And he comes and it says, imagine, we don't know like to what extent if he had, you know, if he had to use like crutches or canes or whatever, but it says that he fell on his face before King David to pay him homage, to show him honor, because now David is the king. And David is also his dad's very best friend in the world. And so Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth says, I am your servant. And you can imagine what he's probably thinking now. Guy's living in the ghetto. He's probably hiding. He probably knows that at some point they're going to probably come for him and kill him. So he, imagine how he's feeling right now. He's probably like, okay, I'm your servant. He's like, don't cut off my head. You know, he's probably thinking, I'm not going to raise up a rebellion. Like, I don't want the throne. You know, he's probably having a lot of pretty strong emotions going on here. And here's what David says to him. Don't be afraid. Since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all your father's or your grandfather Saul's fields. And now this is a part I want you to hear this. You will always eat meals at my table. Now think about the concept of the table. The table is a place of deep intimacy and a place of of fellowship, a lot of times a place of joy. It should be a place of, of connection. In a lot of families, unfortunately, the, the table becomes a place of discipline and a place of anger and a place of um, angst and dissension. But I just want to say, if, for, for those of you who have little kids or those of you parents, make the table a place of fun and a place of fellowship and a place of enjoyment and connectedness. Don't make it a place of, now we're going to try to take care of all the discipline problems we didn't take care of earlier. Make the table a place of celebration. There's something so unique and so intimate. You think about it. We have the table of the Passover. We do the Passover Seder, the, the celebration of of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we also have the table of communion, And it says in the Bible that the bread of his presence will be at the table. There's something so powerful about that. I think, I think, Food is one of my love languages. <laughs> and last night, I, we went out and I had this salad and it changed my life. I mean, it was just, it was so good that, that I wept. It was amazing. It was so delicious. And isn't there something about sharing that with people, sharing the experience? And think about this now. Bo is living down in the ghetto with this probably, you know, kind of gangster guy. All of a sudden, he gets it in one day He stands before the king, fearing for his life, recognizing that he's an outcast, and he stands before the king, and the king says, don't be afraid. Come and eat at my table. Think about this. Every meal, I want you to eat every meal at my table. 
and I'm going to give you all of the wealth of the former king. I'm going to give you all of the wealth of Saul. It says, I will give you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. And Bo, Mephibosheth, paid homage and said, what? Why? Why me? He says, what is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me? Why would you choose me? Don't you see? I'm crippled. I'm an outcast. I should be dead. I am the lowest of the low. Why would you choose me? It says, the king summoned Saul's attendant, Ziba, and said to him, I have given to your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons, and your servants are to work the ground for him, and you are to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, is always to eat at my table. Mephibosheth means one who ends shame, one who separates from shame. And you know, shame is a big motivator today, isn't it? Shame. Think about those words. You should be ashamed. Jesus came to die for our shame. We don't need to feel shame. We are invited to eat at the king's table every single day. Every day. He's beckoning us. He's coming eat with me. And I just want to say this. For those of you who are, are young, you're raised in the church, and you may, um, you may think that God's all about a bunch of rules, a bunch of laws. It's not about that. It's about a relationship with the king, with the one who created you. And I, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm mentoring a group of 25 young leaders, and I just sat before them last week and recognized we've done a really bad job in church as leaders, showing them it's not about rules. It's not about not doing this or doing this or not saying this or not whatever. It's about having friendship with God, relationship, sitting at his table, eating, eating the things that he wants to pour out to us. You know, and it even says in Psalm 23, I have prepared a table before you in the presence of my enemies. God has prepared a table in front of our enemies Isn't that the most amazing thing ever? You're sitting there thinking that I'm surrounded by enemies and I'm sitting there eating this goat cheese beet salad that's changing my life. (laughs) For some of you think that's really disgusting. Imagine I said cheeseburger, okay? Does that minister to some of you more? (laughs) That moves you, but think about it. In the presence of our enemies, no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what kind of, of... adversary or no matter what kind of struggle or no matter what kind of attack, God says, come to the table of my presence. I want to sit and dine with you. I want to I give you delicacies. 
I want to give you things that you've never tasted before. This is what the Lord is calling us to. We are Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. We have been crippled by life, by by things that people have done to us, by things we have done to people. We have become crippled. We have become those who cannot walk except for the grace of God. And Mephibosheth is is the one who's come to represent the end of our shame, the end of our pain, the end of our angst as we sit at the table of the Lord. And, and often, this is, this is our response. I, I, oh, God, you don't know. I, I don't think you want me. To, I've done all these horrible things. I've done so many bad things, God. And he's saying, come and sit at my table. Don't be afraid. Come and sit in my presence. Eat delicious food. This is what he's calling us to. This is the invitation that we have. It says, you, your sons, your servants are to work the ground, and, and you are always to eat at my table. I want to say, we're, you know, we advertise, there's a couple of classes that, that we're going to be having um, for young women who struggle with anxiety and depression and self-harm, eating disorders and, and whatever. Um, there's a lot of shame attached to those things. And you know, the world wants to define our teens. The world wants to tell our teens who they are. I just heard this this um, radio show, and they were saying that that our technology disciples our children. That technology today is discipling our kids. It's defining them. It's telling them who they are. And it's just like Bo here going, hey, I'm a I'm a dead dog, man. I'm just a cripple. I'm a nobody. I'm this. And then imagine if someone else came in and said, no, you're not. You're this. And redefined him instead of having the king say, come and eat at my table. And that is what's happening. And so we have a class for for young ladies who are struggling with their identity. They're struggling with their pain and, and anxiety and stress and all of the things that young ladies struggle with. And we have another class for young ladies who struggle with pornography. There's so much shame. There's actually more shame for girls who struggle with pornography than for guys because it's a man's sin, right? So I just want to say, if you're somebody and you are struggling with that, we have a class available. You can go on the website, and I'm not trying to do a telecommercial here, whatever, but it's just so important that we come away from shame. We have a lot of other, other classes and Bible studies, but make it your goal to receive the grace of God, to sit at his table, even when you aren't worthy, even when you don't deserve it, to sit at his table and eat the delicacies that he has for you. You know, I, I talk about The Chosen. You guys know that I love The Chosen. It's, a, it's an app you can get on your phone. And there's, there's the scene where Jesus is camping. And the way that he starts all of his prayers, he says, blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. And before he eats, he says, for you give us food to sustain our lives and to make our hearts glad. That's what food's supposed to do. It's to sustain us, but it's to make us glad. Like our cheeseburgers, right? 
or like our arugula goat cheese and beet salad. <laughs> it is to make our hearts glad. Some of you, that makes you sick, but for me, that makes that's my happy place. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, for you give us food to sustain our lives and to make our hearts glad. It says here, now moving on in verse 10, second half of verse 10. Now, Zebah had 15 sons and 20 servants. Now, these are all going to become Mephibosheth's servants. All of them are going to become, he's going to be so wealthy. In one day, he went from crippled, outcast, fugitive to sitting at the king's table, dining at the king's table, taking it in, and rich, completely wealthy. And it says here, your servant, Zebah said to the king, your servant will do all my lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like what, what the Lord does for us? He calls us to come and sit with him as his children. He adopts us into his family. He is our heavenly father. He is our king. And it says, so, um, so Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, or Micah. All those living in Zebah's house were Bo's servants. However, Bo lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And now this is a verse that I don't understand why it's in here, but it says, his feet had been injured. And now I wonder, is that because he was always reminded of the fact that he was a cripple? Was that, was that because that could have been the thing that defined him? rather than the fact that he was called to sit at the king's table and to eat the delicacies of the king and to take in all the goodness that the king had to offer. See, we are like him. And I think so much of the time we're thinking about the fact that we're crippled. We're thinking about how much we are lacking or we're thinking about how shameful we are because of the things we've done. And the Lord's saying, I went to the cross. I paid the price for you on the cross. My blood poured out so that you could come and sit in my presence and eat yummy stuff with me. This is what the Lord is beckoning us to. He's saying, don't think about the fact that you've You've done all these things. I've forgiven you. If you have accepted Christ into your heart, if you have received the forgiveness that Jesus offers, you can sit at his table. Even in the presence of your enemies, you can sit at the table of the Lord. Just, just enjoy. And this is what he's called us to, a relationship. This is talking about relationship with him. It's not talking about a bunch of rules. It's saying, no, I see you because of who your father is. And this is what honor is. We honor people because of who their father is. The father in heaven. You see how beautiful this story is? You see how deep and rich and beautiful and how this is the gospel? This is the good news that we can have a relationship with God, that he is inviting us to come to his table. Amen?
Can you stand up? Let's pray together as we close. And if you're online and uh, I just want to say, I know it can be really hard to watch online, to stay focused. But my prayer is that the presence of the Lord would be with you right now. Even as we're gathered here with our studio congregation. That, you're, that the presence of the Lord would be ministering to you right now and that you would know this is for you too. The Lord is inviting you to come and to sit at his table. So Father, we just, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to come apart from our shame. You have called us to receive what you have done for us on the cross so that we can have a relationship with you so that we can, we can actually hear your voice, that we can actually dine on the morsels and the, de- uh, the delicacies that you want us to enjoy. Lord, we can sit in your presence without shame. Lord, and even as Mephibosheth sat at that table, Lord, all of his disabilities were gone. They were hidden They were under that table. And Lord, I believe that that is what you're saying to some of us today, is that you're not looking at our disabilities. You're not looking at our sin. You are not looking at our failures and our shortcomings. You are looking in our faces. And you are saying, I love you. I'm yearning to have relationship with you. I'm longing to pour into you to speak to you, to guide you, to love you, to direct you, to forgive you. Lord, help us to receive the forgiveness. Help us to receive the freedom from shame. And Lord, we thank you that you look at our faces and you look at us with love. Lord, and that your your word says that our faces are radiant as we reflect your glory. We bless you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to invite you, um, next Sunday we have something super exciting happening. I talk about the chosen all the time. Next Sunday I am going to have here one of the cast members from the chosen. I am going to interview him. He is going to tell us all about his experience as an actor on the set of The Chosen. So I would like to um, invite you, bring your friends, again, bring your enemies, bring anybody that you think would might enjoy this. And also, if you, um, if you have, have never come to a pastor's brunch, even if you've been going here for 10 years, if you've never come to a pastor's brunch, we're gonna have that right after second service. And so we wanna invite you to come and hang out with us and just eat. So go eat something yummy and then come back and we'll see you in a little while. God bless you all. Eat the delicacies that the king has provided for you. Amen.